but it's a curiosity as to where we are, what we are. Existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. Welcome to the Curious Humans podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Miller. Hello there, Curious Humans. This is a really special episode with Daniel Thorson, who I initially came across through his really amazing podcast called Emerge. I later learned that he was living as a full-time monastic the Monastic Academy in Vermont, where after a series of conversations, he persuaded me to come and sit for a 10-day retreat, which I just returned from last week. I found this an immensely rich conversation, and I'm really grateful to Daniel for opening up about some of his experiences that he had during a 73-day solo retreat. He had some brushes with insanity but emerged, and no pun intended, on the other side with some hard-won insights to share. This episode of Curious Humans is brought to you by the one and only Nervous System Mastery. This is my flagship five-week bootcamp that is designed to equip you with evidence-backed protocols for cultivating calm and emotional regulation. Our third cohort is running in spring, and applications are currently open until April the 1st. And my sense is that if this conversation resonates with you, then you'd probably be a really good fit for this cohort. The curriculum represents my attempt to distill pretty much everything I've learned in recent years about how to create the conditions for our nervous systems flourishing. And previous students have shared how taking part has not only improved their sleep and the quality of their relationships, but also tap into deeper states of joy and confidence in their lives. We've had over 400 students complete this training, and many have said it's been the most impactful thing they've ever done for their personal growth. So if you're intrigued at all, you can find more details and apply to join this year's cohort over at nsmastery.com. Okay. Without further ado, please enjoy this heartfelt conversation with Daniel Thorson. Well, welcome to the Curious Humans podcast, Daniel. It is it's truly a real pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Johnny. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you feeling in this moment in three words? Three words. Hmm. I, feel, I feel nervous and alive. Hmm. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Um, so I, I hope and I imagine this conversation will go in like a ton of different directions, but I would like to begin by asking, were you exceptionally curious as a child? And if so, are there any stories or moments that come to mind? You know, it's funny. I don't, I don't necessarily identify as being exceptionally curious, but I bet that I was, and I bet that others would have identified me that way. And, and the, the story that came to mind is uh, I was certainly rather nerdy and geeky as a kid. And I used to play Dungeons and Dragons. And (laughs) one of the things I loved most about Dungeons and Dragons was, um, and I was often the dungeon master. And uh, one one of the things I loved most was creating the um, the worlds, and so I have the, I have a memory of just spending hours and hours creating these um, maps of fake worlds with cities and like places that 
I that existed in my mind. And I just I remember spending hours and hours just sort of living into this fantasy world. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know why that came up, but that did come up when you asked that question. Mm, I I love that. And I also was obsessed with um, fantasy video games, particularly Zelda. And and also I remember reading the Wizard of Earthsea like multiple times. And in particular, the the maps on the f- like on the first and second page of like, this is the world that this this novel, this this narrative kind of takes place in. Um and I think it, it like evoked this sense of like possibility and and like this exploration in me. Um which it, it's it, yeah, it, it's like adventurous curiosity, which I think is has like a different flavor to it. Mm-hmm. So from yeah from playing Dungeons and Dragons as a kid um I actually don't know much of the backstory here but how how did you find your way to becoming more or less a full-time monastic what were some of the the pivotal moments or formative moments in your life that led you to discovering maple sure well, I think in in broad strokes my story is probably the same as it is for most people who find their way to a lifestyle like this. You know, I was kind of brought to the path through my own suffering. The, um, the kind of specific situation that really cracked me open was the ending of my first love relationship. You know, when I was about uh, 18 going to college, I broke up with my then girlfriend and um, it shattered me and it, it revealed to me in particular ways that I had been with her that I was deeply not proud of, you know, ways that I had caused her pain. I don't even think I would have been able to say it this way at that time, but it, um, kind of, uh, revealed to me this tremendous amount of anxiety and fear and loneliness that I just had no idea how to deal with. And at the time I was, you know, um, in college and philosophically minded. And so I was kind of like going through all these different philosophical systems. I was like, well, maybe it's communism. Maybe it's, um, you know, maybe I just need to like help people through like economic change, you know? Um, and, and, and eventually I found, um, meditation. I found Buddhism. And, and this was around the time when the first, Kind of fMRI studies were coming out, which uh, about about meditation and the benefits of meditation, and I think that was enough to kind of crack my materialist academic sort of worldview, and and I was desperate enough, so I was like, all right, I'll I'll, I'll try meditation, <laughs> and, I, and I tried it, and and it was it was it was you know unlike every other kind of world view and worldview and philosophy I tried, it just kept working. You know, it just kept giving me a return on time invested. And so I just kind of like gave more time and I gave more time and I gave more time and it kept um, giving benefit. And so um, now it's, gosh, uh, I don't know, 15 years later mm. and it's still, it's still, there's still so much more to discover, you know, mm. so much more. I love that. And, and I'm curious and, you know, maybe people listening are as well you know, there are millions of people now who have also tasted meditation you know, through the waking up app, th- these kinds of things. Like what, 
What do you think it might have been about the way that you found it or worked with it that allowed it to stick in such a deep way? Well, you know, when I when I first started getting into it, I, I found this podcast called Buddhist Geeks, and mm. on this podcast, which Vince is still Horn. a podcast that's yeah, going yeah, yeah. on, and um, yeah, Vince Horn, yeah, and I actually ended up working for that company. But it was, it, before I worked for Buddhist Geeks, I was just a huge fan, and one of the guests that they had was this person. Yeah, was this person Daniel Ingram? I don't know if you know Daniel uh-huh. Ingram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've listened to his you know in, interviews and things. Okay, very good. And so he wrote this book called Mastering the Core Teachings of the Buddha, and um, it it appealed to me as I think it did for a lot of like young men in particular because it basically said like, look, you can get enlightened if you just do this technique correctly and get the dosage high enough, and that really landed with me. And at the time, because I, I just didn't see anything else available to me that made sense like that did. And so I just went for it. And, and I'm not the only one. There was a whole community of people online at the time that really just gave their lives to this kind of experiment and this this training, this path, and tried to um, get enlightened. Uh, and so I, I, yeah, I really, really went for it. I just kind of gave my life to it as best i could Mm. i just had an image of um when we were meditating together i remember waking up this was like four in the morning and coming into the the main space and seeing you doing like doing burpees doing the workout and and then going in the cold plunge and you had this like amazing intensity that listening to your podcast previously i wouldn't have kind of guessed and it was it was almost like this kind of Mm. like um, like warrior energy that kind of came online, um, and it and it mm. sounds like that's the same kind of energy that you've poured into meditation since the beginning, which kind of makes sense as to how you've ended up <clears throat> where you are today. Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I think you know, at the beginning, and I think this is just how it goes with meditation, or at least how it is for me. In in, in that you know, part of the process of meditating is like learning how to bring yourself fully into the practice. And at the beginning for me, it was, there was so much anxiety and fear and like grabbing on and like needing, like practicing to escape the mind that I had instead of practicing to fully embrace it. And so I think that that warrior energy that you sense is, um, is actually a kind of more recent thing that's come online really um uh, under with training it's maple with with soryu you know who who has that <laughs> yes he does um, in spades <laughs> you know, more than anybody you've ever met yeah uh, yeah yeah so um for people listening who might not have heard of maple or the monastic academy what would be uh, could you paint a brief picture of this organization, this place, and the vision that it holds. Totally. Yeah. So uh, the way I like to frame what Maple is, is that it's a living inquiry into what a wisdom institution or a monastery uh, is and ought to be in our contemporary context, and specifically in the contemporary context of um, existential risk and the potential of civilizational collapse. So it's really all about weaving together so that they're integrated and mutually supportive, the 
training and transformation of one's mind with the kind of skills, capacity, and uh, sensibilities of, of taking responsibility for this planet, the systems that you know run it, and all life. Hmm. Mic drop. So it's like a big, it's a big thing, right? It's like really hard. Yeah, it's really hard. And so it's kind of like it's kind of like in that Mahayana. If you're familiar with Mahayana, like the idea that um, my awakening is not just for me, my practice is not just for me. It's actually for the benefit of all beings, all sentient life, all, all life. Um, yeah. So it's kind of a development of that, and a kind of uh, 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I love how you described it as like a living, an organization that is a living inquiry into this question. And I've, I've never heard that pairing before, but actually thinking back like that lands for me in the sense of even during the retreat that I took part in, there were clearly like experiments running, like there were, you, you guys were testing new ways of doing things, new ways of running the retreats to, to make it more impactful. And that was, you know, almost in like your kind of startup, like in a kind of like scrappy type experiment-based mentality as opposed to say the retreats i've set in the past say the goenka vipassana where it's like this is the format it's rigid it hasn't changed for like two <laughs> decades it's like it's done in like a thousand places yeah. around the world yeah. and, so, and i really appreciated that like experimental learning mindset that seems to be very very much alive in in the culture very much so yeah and i mean it's funny because goenka itself like that tradition those 10-day vipassana courses are you know compared to many traditions, extremely experimental. And so, and so, you know, within the, the frame of like monastic style training spaces, yeah, we're, I think very atypical in our, um, willingness to experiment and play and sort of try new things and then realize they don't work and then, you know, uh, try something new. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'd love to, well, just mentioning for, for listeners, um, for some context, I, flew to Vermont and took part in one of the 10-day awakening retreats in January. So this is a, a few weeks ago now. And it was really one of the more, certainly the most intense and probably the most profound retreat that I've taken part in. And I've, I've done, you know, five or six at this point. And I'd love to share and also hear from you, like what are some of the ways in which the, the maple style of 10-day meditation retreat is is really radically different from many of the other um retreats that are offered out there and and for me like some of the things were just like you know the schedule like 4 a.m to 11 p.m at night is is like intense like it doesn't doesn't leave a lot of time for for sleep in these things and but the other piece that really just kind of blew my mind in a way was having the one-on-one -on -one meditation interviews with soyu and having direct feedback from a deeply experienced practitioner to kind of guide and shape my meditation practice and and how transformative mm. that was um but perhaps you could speak to some of the you know the ways in which it is different to the traditional kind of meditation yeah. retreat yeah yeah sure so um and you could probably find uh, communities or, or training spaces that are that are similar in a lot of these ways, but you know some of the things that I think of that make Maple, you know, special in my heart at least is um, uh, one that you, you know if you're coming to a retreat at Maple, you're entering into a culture, 
a living culture, you know, that there are people here, you know, you were Johnny, one of, I think, well, you actually, I think you might've been one of the only guests in that retreat. You know, sometimes we have more or less, but I was the only guest. Yeah. It was yeah. somewhat int- intimidating. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and so, but, but, you know, usually we have like two or four guests and then there's something like 20 residents, people that live there more full time. And so that just kind of creates a different sort of field versus retreats that you go to where maybe everybody's coming in for a week and then leaving. Um, I think that's significant. And then, you know, the other is around, um, really around view. And it's like I said, the, the deep reason why we are doing this training is for the sake of showing up in the world and transforming it. And that's actually quite different than I think a lot of retreat centers, which are more focused on personal healing and transformation. Not all, you know, there are some that really do, um, uh, explore this, this, this weave, but that's rare. And then as you say, I'll just double click it, you know, Soryu is, um, really special. I mean, and, and I, I don't know, you know, what else to say if, if, if people come here, they'll see it. He, he is, um, uh, well, I don't know what to say. Uh, he is, um, you know, he's a true teacher. He's willing to push you. He's willing to challenge you. He's willing to point out your blind spots, um, even when it's uncomfortable. Uh, and he knows this stuff better than certainly anybody I've ever met. And it's just incredible. Yeah, still, you know, I've been here for like a total of seven years and I am still like regularly surprised and blown away by his skillfulness and his courage and his um, perceptiveness. Uh, he's just a really special person. And um, that, yeah, that makes, that makes coming and training at Maple special. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Um, and I think we'll, we'll kind of unpack that more in a little bit so just just like my reflection on soyu was that i've never experienced you know anyone let alone a teacher that had such kind of like fierce love is how i describe it it's like the love that knows the times when to kind of like boost your confidence and to cheer you up and say like you're doing a great job like just keep going you're doing good and then also like really cool you out and really just like bring the fire and force you to look at things look at ways in which you're out of integrity or ways in which you're hiding from yourself in certain ways and that is such a it's such a gift and it's so i I hadn't really experienced it myself previously um, but it's it's such a gift yeah yeah really is yeah there's so much i could say about that but i'll I'll, maybe i'll sit on it for now explore that Hmm. well i wanted to um one of the things I wanted to go into was uh, on the final, my final day of the 10 day retreat was also your final day of a 90 day solo cabin retreat, which my, my mm. brain almost. Actually, it was actually 70, 74 days. Oh, 74 days. Okay. 74 uh, days. Okay. I thought, it, yeah. I thought it was 90. Okay. Yeah. 74 days. Even so, um, that's like uh, mind bending for me to imagine kind of going through what I went through another seven and a half times. Um, and I think you mentioned this was your third extended solo retreat of this variety. Um, and you said it was also the most challenging and the most intense, uh, 
could you share a little bit of the context behind it and, and what made it so different from the previous two solo periods that you took part in? Sure. Yeah, well, um, I think the, the thing that made it intense is also the thing that made it different. And that's that, uh, uh, well, how do I say this? Uh, this retreat was um, kind of like not something I chose. I put it that way. It was sort of the culmination of a long process of falling apart that I went through over the previous year. Um, it, you know, I mean, I won't, I won't get too into it, but I, I had gotten to the point where I, I was really broadly dysfunctional. Like I couldn't really do the work I had in front of me. It was like hard to be in relationship and, um, Soryu, you know, again, God bless him, uh, saw that and, and saw not like, ah, like here's a person to be fixed, but instead Mm -hmm. here's an incredible opportunity to transform. And he's, and he saw that I was ripe to really see through certain patterns of my mind. And so he said, you know, do you want to go into an extended solitary retreat? And, and, um, you know, previously in the previous solitary retreats I'd done, I, I wanted to. I was like asking for the opportunity to go into a silent retreat so that I could, you know, get better at meditation and grow. This time, when he made that offer to me, I was just filled with terror. Like it, fe- it felt, it felt like what I am. Like it felt similar to some to like uh, being told that you're about to you know, be executed or something. It felt like I was, I was going up to the, to the, um, to the chopping block, really. Uh, it was, it was horrifying. And, and also I, I knew when it was invited that I would do it because I couldn't say no to that and live with myself. I think I would regret that if I said no. Um, and so, you know, just going into an experience like that and, and it, it, it with a mind that is really uh, suffering and in a lot of um, confusion uh, is both, and, and it was both, the most painful, the most challenging um, experience of my life, and it was the most rewarding experience of my life both of those yeah it was, it was both of those um and the uh, the other solitary retreats i sat were, were wonderful i learned so much they were great experiences but this retreat i was i think because of this process of of falling apart humble enough to really question my mind and to really um, face, be willing to, to be humble enough to face this pain that I had been, I think, running from for at least my whole life. Uh, And so, and and in facing that pain, you know, that it became the most painful and rewarding experience of my life. Mm. Mm. It's beautiful. And just wanted to reflect back the 
Um, like you said that you don't think that you could have lived with yourself if you had said no, but I think many other people in that situation would have just said no, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, and I think it mm. takes a lot of, like a huge amount of tremendous amount of courage to go into something like that. And, and I have a, it, it's not the same, but I remember when just after I lost Sophie, I'd pre-committed to a Vipassana meditation retreat and I was in like the depths of mm. my grief. And, and I remember there was this very kind of like, it was a, this like inner turning point where I was like, I could justify very easily not doing this and just like, you know, I'll face my grief later like down the road. And there was this part of me that was like, just go. And, and like you said, for me as well, it was, it was incredibly intense and incredibly healing. Um, and, and, and I'd love, I'd love for you to maybe like bring listeners into your experience like, like midway through this, this 73 days, like what were some of the things that were unfolding in your mind and, and how were you able to both work with them so that you could kind of function for the meditation, but also, you know, allow yourself to s surrender to some degree. It's, it sounds like. Yes. Well, it's 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 quite hard to really um describe what these <clears throat> retreats are like you know it's um mm. they're so full and so often ineffable in various ways but i can i can speak to some of the kind of um pieces that might might be um you know uh, interesting or or useful to talk about um I'll say, I'll say that 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 um, one way that I understand what happened is that, uh, and I think this is kind of the story of how breakdowns. One story of how breakdowns tend to happen is that um, your mind is kind of running in. One's mind is running into the limitations of a certain way of being. And it doesn't yet know a different way of being. And so it's like, that, so what, what emerges is deep confusion, a kind of like questioning of the fundaments of how you've come to be. And uh, for me, I, I, I only discovered this once I was really in the, in the depths of the retreat, the, the limitation that I was running into was a profoundly deep attachment to understanding to needing to comprehend and like fit the world into my human understanding and it's so it's 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 quite um funny because you know something that the the, the path of meditation just does is constantly undermine your sense of understanding. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I was in this very difficult <laughs> position of, of, um, you know, whatever kind of, uh, uh, place I thought I had to stand, whatever kind of understanding I thought I had attained would very quickly be dissolved by the practice and with, you know, Soryu's support. Cause one of the jobs of a good teacher is just to take away whatever basis you think you've discovered, whatever ground you think you've found to stand on. And so, um, in this retreat, I, I kind of really came up face to face with this deep attachment to understanding the sense that 
uh, if I didn't understand, and, and, and by understand, I mean like have the right view and ideas about the world and about really everything, then I was kind of worthless and bad and unworthy of love. Um, and, you know, probably I should just like go and crawl into the woods and die alone. <laughs> so basically what my body really believed. So somehow I had come to believe this. Um, it's not logical. I didn't, I don't remember really taking this on, but this was a schema that um, really my whole psyche seemed to be organized around. And so um, it turns out that you do not need to understand in order to live. Right. I actually don't understand. Like I'm moving my hand right now. I have no idea how that happens. I'm breathing. I have no idea. I have no idea. And I doubt we will ever understand how any of these things work. And that's actually better. It's actually the mystery is so much more fulfilling, so much more beautiful, so much more sacred than this kind of compulsive need to again fit everything into this small, tiny box of human understanding. And so I kind of, you know, broke through at one point that, that, uh, attachment. And it was profoundly liberating, profoundly liberating. One of the most liberating experiences of my life, because as I say, this is like core to my psyche and the structure of how I interact with the world. And then as far as I can tell, you know, after that, for the three weeks after that, I was finally able to face all of the pain and confusion and helplessness that that attachment was occluding from my view, mm. right? So feeling just totally confused, not knowing if whatever was happening was good or bad, right? Because I use understanding to kind of sort experience and, and, and things, life into good and bad, you know, so I go towards the good and away from the bad. Is losing track of all that so painful, <laughs> so confusing, and so painful. It was amazing. Like every day was horrible. It was just so painful and so confusing. Uh, <laughs> just you know, it was it was wild. It was wild. I'd never experienced pain and suffering like that. Like emotional, existential, psychological pain. Um, really, just horrible. And and it, and there was it was about you know three weeks of that of really just you know in the meditation business we talk about purification where you kind of. Um, uh, these experiences are coming and you're uh, 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 kind of meeting them with equanimity or meeting them with a mind that is neither running away from them nor kind of pulling them in. And, and in that process, they get purified. They no longer and, – and eventually they no longer really arise. And so there was a, a this long process of purification and then it it, it seemed to pass. And I have and, – and, and then there was whole, there was a new experience, you know, um, and uh, so that's like one one thread um, that that kind of was weaving its way through the retreat. There 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 are many others. Like I say, it's this this you know, uh, if you haven't done a retreat, if you haven't really done intensive practice, um, you you may be surprised at how rich. The experience of meditation of just sitting because like literally all I was doing, all I was doing <laughs> was just <laughs> sitting in this cabin following my breath. I was the only practice I was doing was following my breath, and it was so incredible. You know, there, there was there were there were 
like these epic moments. There were these, uh, uh, you know, these buried treasures that I would find. There was these sudden incredible revelations. There were these like boss battles with, you know, these deep patterns of pain and confusion. Um, it, it was, it was an adventure. It was a really, it's an adventure. And it's, and, you know, Soryu sometimes talks about how it is the true adventure, right? To turn towards our own minds and to work through all the ways that we run from experience like that, that is the foundation of, of that's like, that's the adventure that we get in this life, you know? And, and, the, and so these stories like Earthsea and the fantasy stories that we were so into is, as young people, like in a sense, they're just a reflection of this profound adventure of actually reckoning with the truth of our experience. And so it really is like that. It really is just this incredible, wild, scary, confusing, epic adventure mm. that, you know, we all get to go on if we want, <laughs> if we just kind of sit down and, and amazingly enough, just follow your breath. It's so wild that that just it does all this, you know? <laughs> Yeah, wow. I I really love how you frame that. And and I I almost think of my like my life up until this point where the first 20 something years I was I was like adventuring in the outer world. I was like traveling, I was going to new places, I was like mm. seeing the wonders and the mysteries of the world. And like you say, like, I I I just had an image of like you know in Zelda like when you begin or, or a game like this, the character is planted on the map and there's like a there's like a 10 foot radius of the map where and everything else is just blank like everything else mm -hmm. is like terra incognita and as you start to walk around you start to see that there is this like whole world this whole landscape that opens up that you were oblivious to when you first begun in level one and then over time it just like you say it, it unfolds into something that is almost unimaginable and and very hard to describe a lot of the time. Um, and I think yeah. that's such a beautiful, yeah. I, I mean, it's such a nerdy way of, descri of describing the process of, of meditation, but it is, <laughs> it, it is like this inner adventure. And like, that's how I relate yeah. to it in some ways as well. And, and, and the boss battles, like you say, is like feelings that you've mm. trapped in dungeons that you've been afraid to go into like, totally. for good reason. Cause, cause you weren't yes. ready. And it's like our psyche knows when we're ready to, to actually go in and, and feel these things like when we are sufficiently when we have yeah. enough nervous system capacity just to some degree um yeah. so i i really love the way that you described it and and, and i'd also like to and i imagine listeners would be curious about this as well but like double click on the the understanding thing because because that's like something that we tend to celebrate in culture right you know especially on twitter like we are mm -hmm. rewarded for producing correct yeah. demonstrating correct understanding of things it's it's how it's like the social mm -hmm. currency of, of our world and i think our self-worth mm -hmm. is tied tied up in it a lot so i think you know it'd be really it'd be really mm -hmm. interesting to hear how how is your perception of reality different now that you don't have this deep grasping or attachment to understanding at least understanding as like a vehicle to self-worth hmm. yeah yeah, I mean, I, to a certain degree, I think I'm still I'm still working it out. You know what the what the difference is, but I will say that it seems like well, one, I still love understanding. Like I, I am, <laughs> you know, I love learning. I love like uh, yeah. reading yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and exploring ideas. Um, right. But I'm not under the illusion that I'm ever gonna get it right. Mm. I'm just never gonna get it right, and 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 that 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 
under that kind of sense, I would never get it right, was, I think, deeply threatening to me and deeply uncomfortable to me before this retreat. I don't even know if it was like consciously or intellectually that way, but it was like it like got me in my heart and my gut. Mm. Um, and now, uh, yeah, it's just I I I I know that I won't understand. I won't understand myself. I won't understand other people. I won't understand how the world works. I won't understand meditation. And this is where I often. You know, really wanted to understand how meditation worked, <laughs> how to do it right. 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 Like I thought that if I could understand how transformation works and how meditation works sufficiently well, then I could do it right or something. You know, and 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 that that then I think what I actually thought was that then I could avoid a lot of the pain mm. of 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 just the process of of actually not knowing how to do it because if i knew how to do it then i i wouldn't need to learn how to do it you know so it's like there's a way that that <laughs> premature understanding gets in the way of the unfoldment of things and i feel like i'm just not so in the way anymore um uh but I think most mostly it, 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 there's just a sort of uh, it, it's not that big a deal because it's just an attachment. So you know they often say that when you have insights, it's like nothing changes and everything changes, and it, and it does feel a lot like that. Like it, it it's it's more like uh, I just don't struggle with the limits of my understanding, and then the sacred mystery can just kind of fill in the gaps. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. But there's almost like a a pattern that I think that these stories that we get trapped into follow. And and it's like it's like if this happens, like if I become enlightened, if I fully understand this thing, then I'll be I, I won't feel pain or hurt. You know, I'll be safe essentially. I'll be safe and I'll be loved. And 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 I think this great misconception that even people you know, people like, like Soyu, for example, who are incredibly, um, let's say like far along the path, like they still experience challenges. They still, it still requires courage in them to kind of face these different challenges. And so it, it's almost like reframes enlightenment from this place of like, you know, perfect safety where you can't be harmed to where you're almost even more vulnerable and open up to the world. Yeah. And that's, and that's, I think, you know, so much of meditation is this process of allowing yourself to be just completely vulnerable, you know, and, 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 and I think part of the reason why, for instance, following the breath is such an effective method. And this is, it is that it, it, it kind of, um, it traps you, mm. it traps you and, and keeps you from attempting to protect yourself from life, you know, like you, you can't do all the things. If you're, if you're really doing it, if you're really following your breath, you can't do all the things that you're used to doing to keep yourself essentially safe from life, which is, mm. uh, turns out exactly that, which creates all the suffering and disease. It's very confusing. <laughs> it, it sounds like you were trapped internally 
and externally, like internally by following the breath and externally by being on this retreat that you kind of didn't want to be on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, that's that's very much how it felt. And at some point, w- would you say there was almost like a like a trap door? Like, like how would you describe the moment from feeling so completely trapped that you have nowhere to go into this vast freedom and this new perspective what what happened there yeah it wasn't like a kind of um sudden escape or something like that it was more gradual i think that's my sense of it um but there was a there was a pivot point i think where and I told this story in the in my post retreat talk actually, or, or sorry, you actually invited the story if I remember correctly. Um, mm-hmm. Where one of the things that happened on this retreat, one of the forms of suffering that I, I experienced, which I'd never experienced before, was um, my mind really kind of thinking or believing, telling me that I was about to go insane, which I think was related to this. Uh, dropping away of understanding, you know, that it thought that without understanding, then I'll go insane. And at one point it got really bad and I kind of freaked out and I went and found Soryu and said like, Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going insane. Please help me. <laughs> and he, it was incredible. It was incredible. Like still I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that he responded in the way he did. And he responded by basically saying, don't go insane. Don't do that to yourself. <laughs> Which is just like, where can you go for that kind of treatment? That's incredible. That <laughs> level of faith in me is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. More, it, it was, you know, he had more faith in me than I had in myself at that moment for sure. And it kind of just put me back on my heels. And when I kind of went back to into my practice, I was just I, I finally really realized that I'm responsible for mm. my mind, that nobody else is responsible for my mind, that nobody else is coming to help me, nobody else is going to take care of me, that this is my responsibility and it's time to be an adult now. That's it. That's it. You know, and, and sure, we can you know, talk about inner subjectivity and that, you know, we're all influencing each other, but also you can just sort of take this stand in your own experience. And I did that, I think maybe for the first time in my life. Uh, and then everything started to kind of turn right side up actually in a way that had never done before. And I just could see the ways that I was, um, fabricating my experience that i was choosing these experiences of suffering i was choosing to suffer through my own confusion and lack of understanding and my own attachment i i was doing it it wasn't that like suffering was happening to me it was that i was unskillfully participating in my experience and you know mm-hmm. the, the path of meditation is seeing this at ever deeper levels but there was something that really just turned around where I finally was able to just take responsibility and stop being a victim of experience. Mm. I was no longer a victim. Um, and gosh, it was so liberating. Like you say, it was just, there was 
a tremendous amount of freedom in that move, in that scene. Mm. Wow, it's it's incredibly powerful. Um, a few things are coming up for me right now. One is I had a recent conversation with my my housemate Max, who was actually also spent time at at Maple, um, and he went through a period where. He also went quite close to going insane as a result of, of like deep meditation practice. And he, he described a, a dream to me the other day where he saw a version of himself like frothing at the mouth in chains, chained against the wall, this like complete madman that he feared becoming. And in the dream, the, the walls of this cave just collapsed onto this insane version of himself. Um, and when he woke up, that was like his turning point back into sanity. But it it seems like it's almost kind of a um in in order to taste some of the depths that are possible of meditative experiences, it feels like walking that edge between sanity and insanity is is, is almost common. Um and, and I don't hear that talked about that much either. It was quite new for me to hear that. Yeah, it does, it does seem common. Um, and, you know, Soryu has talked about how it, the, the almost the purpose of setting up a place like Maple, which is a very deliberately constructed environment, is to create the conditions where you can fall apart and actually encounter these aspects of your mind and psyche that you have just turned away from your whole life. And they, they tend to be these profoundly painful, out of control, deep, dark parts that you've put in a dungeon. And yeah, it feels like you're dying. It feels like you're going insane. It feels like this is the end. And yet it's, it's, it seems to be that it's, it's, it's moving through those of actually facing them that does is what really deeply transforms us and makes us able to show up in relationship and in life in a way that is trustworthy. Because if we if we don't face them, we're we they're there, they're there. <laughs> we're always kind of like we're always avoiding them, right? And they're we're putting just the avoiding them, and then that, we construct a life. No matter what, like they're the puppets. Exactly. They're like yeah. manipulating us from from behind the scenes. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and we'll protect them. We'll do everything we can. And that was my experience too. Is on this retreat. It's like, you know, thank God I had Soryu sort of ongoingly pointing me in the direction of them because I would do, and I have done everything I can to avoid them. <laughs> everything I can. I have designed my life to avoid them because they're painful. It's deeply, profoundly painful. So you just, everything you can do, you do to, to not experience them. And so it's, it's, it's wild to create a whole system that's sort of designed to orient you back to facing them. It's very right. hard. It's very subtle art, very difficult art. And you know, it's risky too. It's risky. You know, it's not, um, you can go insane. You can lose your mind. You can, you can hurt yourself in profound ways. Yeah. I, I totally agree with, with what you just said. And, and I think these types of, um, containers that are held with fierce integrity are essential for and I think about this in the context of breath work or say plant medicine, like when you're playing with the depths of the psyche, it's important to have a container that is completely, completely held so that, as you say, you can fall apart 
and be held and then almost come back together again um, in, in that. But it's, yeah, it's delicate. I, I, I also, I'd love to um, just like, like how would you, so, so, so Soyu is not on the internet. He's, you know, he has a Twitter profile. I don't think he's ever said a tweet. Maybe, maybe he has. Um, <laughs> like, like I'd love to like paint somewhat of a picture of Soyu for listeners. And, and I was listening to his Dharma talks this morning in the sauna and just reminded of like how much, how much power and wisdom was transmitted. And, and also in the, the meditation interviews, which again was something I'd never experienced before, but feeling like I was completely met exactly where I was and then given the precise like key to unlock the way in which I was trapping myself that I couldn't see. Um, but, but I, I, you know, you've, you've spent years with this man, like, like how would you begin to describe him to someone who's, who's curious, but you know, hasn't, hasn't been to Maple. Well, one thing to say, I mean, for what it's worth, you know, here I am just a person on the internet, you know, listeners, <laughs> you know, for what it's worth, I've known this this human for seven years. I have just never met anybody like him. You know, he, he I've, I've I've known him in different contexts. I've traveled with him. I've worked with him. I've been his friend. He's been my teacher. We're, we've been colleagues. He's been my boss. Um, and I like it's f- extremely rare that I've seen him be wrong or out of integrity. Right, like it's just which is weird. It's very weird. I've never experienced anybody like that. And, and for me, he's he's kind of um, – and, and one of the reasons I've stayed at Maple, one of the primary reasons I've stayed at Maple is that he has raised the bar of what I understood was possible for a human being to become. Mm. And, you know, again, you can – you as the listener can take that however – you like and, and I would invite you to come and, and and you know experience what it's like to be around him. My my kind of sense of of why he's like that or how he came to be that way is that he was from a very, very, very early age, like the age of three, um very moved on behalf of what he saw as the way that human beings are acting unwisely and hurting living things like and and so he was from a very early age like this this deep care and concern drove him to explore the world explore his own mind and eventually took him to um a very intense training monastery in Japan where he then, you know, did a lot of this transformational work. And, um, but I think it was that, that kind of motivational core of, of, you know, like I was talking about how I kind of learned to take responsibility. Like I learned how to be an adult to a certain degree at the age of 36 on this <laughs> retreat that I just finished, you know, which is, I'm kind of like happy about, but also ashamed about like our culture shouldn't be producing 36 uh-huh. year old children, but here Th- I am. 33 years later. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he, he, on the other hand was like an adult way before his time. Cause he could see that adults were misbehaving. We're, 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 we're not acting wisely. And so it like, he just, you know, just went for it (laughs) and 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 that's and and apparently when you do that 
from a very early age with a lot of dedication and determination and um, uh, you create somebody like Soryu and it's, and it's very impressive. It's very impressive. He's very impressive. Um, his ability to, as you say, meet you where you are and kind of like see how you're trapped and then like model, demonstrate, invite the escape is just beyond anything that I've ever experienced. Um, his vision and creating this place of training was amazing. His, and, and, and then his ability, like I, I say, I think I said this to you when we were speaking after the retreat that like, uh, you know, Maple is a really incredible place. It's a really beautiful culture, right? Like that the culture that exists here, I think is um, really precious. And that culture you know, of course, it's the product of all of the individuals who have come through here and given parts of their lives to, you know, just training and being here. But it's more than that. It is, to a large degree, the result of just so many excellent choices that Soryu has made over the years. You know, so many times when he could have gone left and that then Maple might not have been here. But instead, he made a different choice and and, and the community continues to thrive. And just seeing that over and over again, it it has, uh, well, you know, I think to it, it's affirmed the path to me that you know you can walk a path and become more trustworthy, and by trustworthy I mean that I could give you power, you could give him power, you could give a trustworthy person power, and they will use it with integrity. They will use it for the sake of goodness, truth, and beauty. Um, and I've seen that over and over and over and over again. That he he does that. He just does that. He makes those choices even when it's hard. And it's um I'm just so profoundly grateful to know him uh for all those reasons. And and yeah, you know, if you if you want to get to get to know him, I think I recorded a podcast episode with him that I think um as you say, he's not really on the internet. His Twitter account, I think I created his Twitter account like four years ago. And, and you're right. He's like never actually posted on it. I think I'm pretty sure I taught him how to use a touchscreen, you know, like five years ago or something like that. So he's he's like, you know, he's a very strange human being. Um, but he's, uh, uh, I think, you know, listen, listening to the podcast episode I did with him would be a good way to get to know him a little bit better if listeners were interested. Mm. Yeah, thank you. And that podcast that you guys did was was beautiful. It was one of the reasons that I actually came to Maple in the first place. Um, so I highly recommend listening to that. And yeah, um, as you were speaking, like I was just reflecting on um, what makes what makes him unique. And, and I've met a lot of. I've been fortunate to meet a lot of amazing, wise people. I, I think it's it's that combination of like wisdom and presence, but also the power. And, and I think I've never, I'd never really seen those two put together. Like usually the really wise people are the softly spoken, the kind of the gentle, the, the you know, kind and loving, which he is of course, but it was like the, the intensity combined with the wisdom and the love. And then on the, the final day of Dharma talks, telling the, the story of, of, of the Japanese Zen master and, you know, seeing him like being brought to tears by this story and seeing that like the huge heart that is also behind this very powerful kind of charismatic human. Um, it was, yeah, like you said, I think I also left feeling like my bar had been raised for the, the level of integrity and just like range and capacity that was possible within 
like a single human vessel. And it's, it's truly inspiring. Yeah. I also wanted to briefly just touch on uh, Emerge and your podcast. You know, the reason that I oh, yeah. found you in the first place, the reason that I think many people actually came across <laughs> Maple and the Manassi Academy was through your podcast. Mm-hmm. You're, you're like the one-man marketing team for, <laughs> for Manassi Academy. Um, so I, I really loved some of your some of the episodes you recorded before going in, into this retreat and particularly this inquiry of of like what is the at least how i understood it was was what is the appropriate ecology of practices which will tend to result in mature powerful wise human beings and and maybe what are the psychotechnologies that, that go with that and like what's your what's your sense of where you're at with that inquiry now and is it still is it still alive in you in the way that it was uh, before this retreat hmm. you know it's not it's not alive in the same way but it is still um driving me i think and uh i mean i think i think i i and i think a lot of people in the space that my podcast operates in and probably just a lot of people who listen to podcasts on the internet and podcasts in general there's a kind of like um belief in the power of what's new and what's emerging you know i mean i would call my podcast emerge because i wanted to like really be on the cutting edge right um which yeah. i think there's a lot of a lot of beauty to that and also I think it's important, and, and this has been an, an ongoing reckoning with me. It's like there's a way that this all, all has already been figured out. You know, like that's what monasteries are and have been. They are a kind of meta psychotechnology, right? That that you go into a monastery and the teacher, the lineage, tells you what to do. Like not, mm-hmm. you know, and people go to monasteries; they get different practices depending on their delusion, depending on their mind, what they're coming in with, and so it's like. Um, I, I, I really appreciate that questioning, that inquiry, and there's so much happening on the planet right now in terms of like the creation and discovery of, of, of techniques of transformation. And I think I have failed to really appreciate the, 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 the deep thoughtfulness and deep amount of work that millions of people have done over thousands of years to create these traditions. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, I, I've, I've like, I don't know what it is. Like, it's hard to see that. It's really hard to see that. Mm. Uh, and uh, so I think I, I, I am still very curious about this inquiry. And I think I'm maybe entering it with more humility. Um, like the most profound transformation of my entire life happened because I followed my breath. <laughs> you know um mm. Mm. not it wasn't some like really sophisticated ecology of specific psychotechnology that it was you know it's like this the seven years of practice went into it or whatever but but uh yeah um i don't know um but my, my sense is we talked about this johnny at the end of the retreat too that that like there's probably, um, uh, I mean, I, I pray that there will be in the coming years a kind of Cambrian explosion of wisdom training spaces, you know, places where you can go to really engage deeply with your own transformation. And my sense is that there will and ought to be 
many different ecologies of practice, both for different interests. You know, there are just so many different lines of development, so many different ways to transform. Um, and also just given the different kind of season of somebody's own work, right? That like, um, there's a very like integrated ecology of like healing practices that you could do for a year in order to be ready to enter into a place like Maple and really do the deep work that's needed here. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I we talked, um, I did a, a three month training that I led in, at the Canadian branch of the monastic Academy that I very much looked at as a kind of like pre pre work to being able to really engage with the training at Maple completely. And I think that will happen. So, you know, I kind of look at it that way, like, uh, you know, that there's not one ecology of practices that's really just adequate. I think it's going to be like interlocking sets of, of ecologies that will, um, hopefully emerge in the coming years. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. And I, I, I really, I do hear you on the, like the depth of, power and and potential that is already in these lineages and these traditions that have been around for you know, thousands of years and, and and i agree that you know sometimes if you have enough earnestness and you're ripe you know just one technique almost doesn't matter what like who am i following the breath it will take you almost all the way and at the same time i think that there is also this this need and this like you know fertile void for these types of like mystery schools, wisdom schools, like w whatever you want to call them to exist, both to, you know, like relate to people with where they're at and to kind of speak to people with the specific types of challenges and suffering that they're experiencing to, you know, even make them interested in the first place. And also like my sense is that um, many of these different traditions, like they, they tend to go deep in, one or two areas but often there are blind spots and, and you know with the understanding of of trauma and, and and these things that we're starting to kind of get a sense of it feels like there's more precise ways which, which almost you know have like a a greater chance of, of actually delivering results um, as opposed to uh, ways in which maybe innovation has stagnated somewhat um despite still being powerful in, in certain cultural contexts? I hope so. I hope so. I, I hope, I, I think we, we, we will need to learn to um, evaluate what works because I think we can be very confused about what working looks like. Um, and then there's also this really interesting question of, how important struggle is for the process of becoming trustworthy, right? Like I, I'm aware of um, this. I don't know if you know the Shinzen Young. Do you know Shinzen Young? Well, your listeners may be familiar with him. He's a, he's a pretty well-known meditation teacher. He's right now in, I think, Arizona working with scientists there to create a device using low-frequency ultrasound that targets the area of the brain that we now know through research that are, are kind of kind of actually down regulate when you do a lot of meditation and, and they're the regions of the brain associated with um, like kind of the experience of time space and and I believe it is um, like inner inner thinking or monologue inner monologue like the default mode network 
Yeah. And, um, and it's like, I think it's very reasonable to expect that we might be able to create a kind of meditation enlightenment button, right? That you kind of go into something and you, you just get blasted into an experience of non-duality. And, and yet like, and this is, it's just functioning as a thought experience. Like that struggle that I went through on this retreat, I don't think it was optional mm. for me to become the kind of person that I can be proud of. Right. Mm. So it's like, uh, I, I, I'm very, I think I'm currently confused about this. I'm just kind of sharing my thinking about it. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder the degree to which this kind of pursuit of finding the right ecology of practices and the right framing and like the kind of precise dosages and stuff is actually, again, just a sort of like, we're trying to escape the hard work, but it's the hard work that actually there's some kind of intrinsic value there that is critical essential mm. yeah mm. yeah I, I mean i think of um like there the might not be a god helmet that exists but you can you, know, you can go and take five meo dmt and get blasted to the non-dual realm and then come back and you're still exactly the same human as, as you were um half an hour previously um and as you were speaking i think about zach stein's framing of like the the pre-tragic, the tragic, and the post-tragic. And it's like the question is how do we how can we skillfully bring people from from deep in the tragic into the kind of post-tragic perspective? Um it feels like that is one of like the the deep questions. And I, I'm also I'm picking up on you've used the word trustworthy quite like quite a few times. And it seems like that for you is almost like your North Star or like the way in like you said like how do we know if this is actually working? Um is someone trustworthy? Like, what does that mean to you? Could you like articulate, like, let's say someone goes through a three month in intensive willow and they become somewhat more trustworthy. What does, what does that look like? Yeah. I think in, in, there's a kind of abstract definition that I like that isn't super helpful, but I'll say it anyways, which is, you know, trustworthiness is something like if you're trustworthy, if I give you power, you'll use it for, the uh, service and protection of life, of all life. Um, you'll use it for the sake of the, the whole, you know. And, and obviously, very often we see people with power using it for the for themselves, right? So that's not trustworthy. Um, you know what it looks like. Ah, it's hard. It's hard to say, Johnny. It's hard to say because I, I, I like there are even parts of me that will are, are like, don't say this, don't say this. But a trustworthy person does the right thing. Uh huh. Great. Right. Yeah. Uh -huh. And and so I'm saying that there is such a thing as the right thing. I actually I I wouldn't have said that some years ago, but I actually do think there is such a thing as the right thing, and the trustworthy person does the right thing. Yeah. Um, one way that we talk about it at Maple is that. Um, we, we talk about how we, we train in three different capacities. We, we train in wisdom, love, and power. And that trustworthiness is the kind of mutually supportive functioning of all three. So your, mm. your power is guided by wisdom and love. And your wisdom and love is actually powerful. It actually um, acts on the world. It actually acts on the world. That, that is trustworthiness. That it's, the, it's this kind of mutually supportive relationship between wisdom, love, and power. Um, mm. 
or it's the mutually supportive relationship between awakening and responsibility. Yes, this deep um, wisdom and this deep care for the world and the ability to act accordingly. Mm. Um, and yeah, it is. I think it is actually the purpose of the path. It is the purpose of the path in my in my view um, is to become a deeply trustworthy person. And I don't. I I, I think that's essentially the same thing as being a person of profound integrity. Mm. Um, yeah, that, that really resonates. Um, yeah, there's a lot in what you, in what you just shared. Um, it's I'm kind of letting it like land in my system. Um, it almost seems like the, the way in which those practices are, are integrate. And, and, and I think this also, and you mentioned this in the beginning, but something that really struck me about, the monastic academy and does make it very different is that the practice is not for it's not for the it's not for you it's not for me it's not so that i can be awakened it's it's it has a greater vision and a greater mission and i remember saw you talking about this idea of like of like right versus wrong awakening or, or like wrong breakthrough i forget what the exact phrasing was but the idea that we can have a some kind of like powerful enlightenment some powerful breakthrough that then we come back and the ego uses it to basically like look how great i am i'm i i had an awakening and you know you meet people in in boulder honestly like quite often who say you know i had this profound awakening and it's another thing that is being used to kind of prop up the self as opposed to what what I love about maple it's like it's like clarifying purifying the mind so that it can be of greater service to life um which which is it it feels like the right orientation um yes yeah yeah and and serving life in order to purify the mind because it turns out that when you mm. start to serve life when you really give yourself to service um you you see all the ways that you're not trustworthy, right? That you're deluded and, and mistaken and, and creating problems when you're trying to help. And so there's this really interesting kind of feedback loop relationship between giving yourself to service and, and clarifying, purifying, and liberating the mind, um, which I think is partly why Soryu is so exceptional is because he is really deeply engaged, that feedback loop, right? He's not satisfied with just his own personal freedom, He's actually like striving to be able to meet each next being completely, to walk into any situation and kind of bend it towards harmony and, and justice. And it's like that's a much higher um, aspiration than, than mere happiness. You know, mere, mere, mere unconditional happiness is, is easy compared to that. <laughs> and they talk about this in Mahayana Buddhism, right, that – uh, that, that that's a much higher <laughs> so it's just a much harder thing to do to 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 act correctly in the world and that's so much harder um and i think that there's something about the fact that like our nature as far as i can tell our nature is selfless service like that's actually mm -hmm. what we most deeply long for and it is what brings us the deepest joy is giving our life in service and so it also does seem more true. Like it seems like it's more true to, to, to articulate a path that is dedicated to serving the world. Because like why would it why would it make us so happy? 
You know, it must be because it, there's, there's, it's, it's, it's somehow so true that that's, that's what we want. That's who we are. We are beings that long to serve. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, I don't think maple would exist or <laughs> there wouldn't be maple. Um, yeah. It's just about my, my own awakening. Yeah. Thank you for pointing out that like beautiful mutuality that I think does exist between and, and I can think back to moments where I felt like I've just been just like in pure, like, like contributing what is uniquely mine to contribute. And in that moment, I both, I feel most alive and most connected. And it, my sense is that it's also what is, you know, most of service to that moment or that person or that particular piece. And, and, and I love this idea that we're almost like, like we have these like unique p- puzzle pieces to give based on our own particular configuration and the, and the work is almost like clearing away the, the gunk that gets in the way so that we can really give that fully without the yes without the yes. other stuff yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's that and it's that really it's it is that deep longing to give your uniqueness to the world and service to the world that we sometimes at maple we call this your vow to sort of live your vow and uh, it's it's that longing, that aspiration, and then that attempt to do that, which will typically, and in my case, did bring 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 brings us to our knees, you know, because we try and we think we can do it, and then we 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 offer it, and then we fail, and that is the beautiful thing because then we're we're in a position where we can really um, surrender our sense of what we think is how it is, you know. And that, that is just, it's glorious actually that this path works like that, that we can, you know, rely on that compassionate offering to show us exactly how we're still deluded. It's glorious. Hmm. Well, this feels like a beautiful um, place to bring us, bring us towards a close. Is there anything else that you would like to, to add or to share or just parting words for, for listeners? Oh, I, I appreciate so much, Johnny, your, your curiosity and your questions. And um, I hope that um, what I've said has been helpful. And um, if what I've said has been confusing or uh, unhelpful, you know, um, you can reach out to me on, on Twitter. Uh, I do occasionally <laughs> go on Twitter, but, you know, not very often. <laughs> uh, and um, uh yeah, no, and I'm sorry if I said anything that 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 is harmful. I, I, I'll, I'll 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 try to reflect on uh, what I said. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard to 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 speak because I you know you don't know who you're speaking to in these in these situations. And so, um, yeah, I don't know who's hearing this. And uh, I just pray that it's it's of, of service. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, I think there's almost like a sense of deep trust that's required that this will just be heard by the right people. Um, and I will also make a plug for your podcast, the, the emerge podcast, which, uh, mm. the archive is just oh, yeah. absolutely magnificent. Like there's, there's so much depth and richness in, in those conversations, not just with, with soy, but mm. a number of just, um, really like leading edge thinkers and people, people contemplating some of the most important problems in this world today. So uh, I'll include that link in the, in the show notes as well. Yeah, great. I guess I will say, you know, um, 
if if what I've shared about Maple like resonates with you as you're listening to this, like do really consider coming here or reaching out to to me or somebody else who's here and just kind of asking more questions. Um, I, as I alluded to at one point in this conversation, like you know my I think part of my vow, part of my aspiration is to be a part of this movement of people who are trying to establish a culture of transformational education uh, in the, in the West and, and especially residential training spaces that, um, I think we need this, you know, I think we really, really need this as a culture. I think it's part of the, um, critical path to, um, navigating this time between worlds. And if, if you are also of that sensibility, you know, Maple is, um, maybe aligned with you. And so please, uh, reach out and, um, you know, perhaps this is a, a home for you. Perhaps this is a community for you. Um, say that too thank you and i definitely intend to return myself at some point um i don't have a fixed date but it's mm, glad it's that. a strong enough desire that i know i will be back there at some point <laughs> um thank you well I, i'd love to close with this this line from rilke that actually feels very appropriate for this conversation and he said try to love the questions themselves and live them now perhaps you will then gradually without noticing it live your way into the answer and with that in mind, what is the question that is most alive in your consciousness right now? And what question might you leave our listeners with? Hmm. That's funny that the question that came to mind was the question that I suppose you know that we chant every morning here at Maple, which is, uh, how do I give my life completely to great love for the benefit of all beings? How do I do it? How do I give my love, my life completely to great love for the benefit of all beings? Beautiful. Well, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you so much, Daniel. Thank you, Johnny. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It would mean a lot to me if you could take a few seconds to open up your podcast app and give Curious Humans a shiny five-star rating. This not only helps more people to find it, but it will help me to get more awesome guests in the future. And if you're not already subscribed, then the Curious Humans newsletter is where I share monthly morsels of interestingness and podcast updates. You can sign up for that at johnny.life. That's J-O-N-N-Y dot life.